dengue fever, the new West Nile virus? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn. And joining me is Dr. David Morens, who is a senior advisor to the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases of the NIH in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Morens is a trained epidemiologist, an academic PhD department chair, and has published and spoken extensively on the epidemiology and pathogenesis of the viral hemorrhagic fevers. Dr. Morens comes to us today from his office in Maryland, and we're going to be talking about the potential public health threat to the U.S. of dengue fever. David, thanks for uh, joining us today. We appreciate it. Well, it's good to be here. Let's uh, maybe before we get into the uh, meat of the matter, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your own um, medical background and what got you interested in this little corner of uh, epidemiology. Yeah, it's a it's a kind of a roundabout story, but that's the way it works in tropical medicine. Uh, I, uh, I went to medical school at the University of Michigan and got an MD degree and did residencies in pediatrics and in preventive medicine. And uh, I went to CDC, the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, as an epidemiologist. And while there, just got really interested in tropical infectious diseases and had, uh, you know, around the time I went there, about 76, 1976, there was a lot of activity of dengue in the Caribbean. And I got involved in that and was involved in a number of outbreak investigations and just really got interested in, in, in the disease dengue as well as a number of other viral diseases that were prevalent or occurring in other parts of the world, the Rift Valley fever in Egypt. And it's just an interest that stuck. When I saw your article in uh, JAMA last month, I, I, I was taken aback, as I suspect many of our audience were, that uh, you talked about this as a, a potential public health threat to the United States because I think many, if not most of us, learned about dengue as uh, as you did it in, in tropical areas and of some academic interest, but not immediate interest to us. Why don't you give us the lay of the land with uh, dengue and, and where it is now in, in the world and how it fits into uh, your concerns about the United States? Well, dengue is a disease and, and it's caused by any one of four dengue viruses. And these are arthropod-borne viruses, mosquito viruses that have been prevalent in much of the tropical and subtropical world for several centuries. And in fact, we've had dengue in the United States before. We've had major epidemics and we've had, you know, pretty big ones, mostly as far back as the colonial times. There was an epidemic in Philadelphia, not a tropical city, Philadelphia in 1780. And the physician signer of the Declaration of Independence, uh, Benjamin Rush, was very much involved in that epidemic. So, yeah, yes, it's a, it's a tropical disease in the sense that it's prevalent in the tropics pretty much worldwide every year. But because it's a mosquito disease, it can appear wherever the mosquitoes go. And those mosquitoes are able to breed in the summer of the United States uh, temperate areas like Philadelphia and other places. So... Essentially, although we can call it a tropical disease, it has the potential to occur virtually any place where the mosquitoes occur. And in recent decades, some of the mosquitoes have been extending their geographic range. So that, that's one of the things that puts the uh, United States at risk. Has it changed uh, or expanded its vectors, or is it the vectors that are expanding their reach? I think it's both. Classically, the dengue is caused by a mosquito vector called Aedes aegypti, the same vector that causes yellow fever. And for those of your listeners who really follow this kind of news. There's another unrelated disease called chikungunya, which is also can be carried by that mosquito. Aedes aegypti has a, a number of related species, such as Aedes albopictus, which are different mosquitoes, but also capable of transmitting dengue viruses. And it's Aedes albopictus that has, over the recent decades, spread alarmingly geographically to the point where it now is 
found in a number of the United States, most of the southern United States and some of the northern ones as well. It's capable of causing dengue fever epidemics. It has in other parts of the world, and I believe it's been involved, according to news reports, in the chikungunya epidemic in Italy. So a lot of this stuff is happening. The mosquitoes are moving. The viruses are adapting. This seems to be a broad trend in mosquito-borne diseases, and dengue is just a, a one notable and bad example of it. Given that, where would you fit dengue in terms of other emerging infectious diseases and how they uh, are a potential threat to the United States? Is this, For example, uh, you, you mentioned in your article that a decade ago, we didn't know much about West Nile, and uh, I know it's a member of the same family. H- how would you compare this to that? Well, I mean, I, I think it depends on what the parameters you're interested in are. In terms of likelihood of spreading into the United States, I'd put it very high. We had an epidemic in Hawaii in, in 2001. We've had cases in southern Texas along the border off and on for 20 or so years. And uh, I think the chance we'll have epidemics is, uh, and continuing ones is probably very large. But on the other hand, it's a very different virus in West Nile. It doesn't get into birds and get spread all over the place. So its geographic range is going to be limited and seasonal and sort of geographically fixed. It's not going to move around with bird migrations like West Nile does. The other thing you can say about it is generally dengue is not a fatal disease. And I would expect that if we have epidemics in the United States in the future, which we will, we're not likely to see many fatal cases, but we're likely to see an awful lot of illness. And, you know, when you have dengue, I believe I had it once, and I've certainly known friends who've had it and seen many patients, you almost wish you were dead. (laughs) It's like having the flu, but worse. Got it. Um, Got it. Second thing that can be said is that one of the mysteries of dengue that um, you may or may not want to get into, but because it doesn't have an answer yet, is that in recent decades, dengue has begun to cause fatal illness and to kill thousands of people every year. And we don't really know why. It's a complicated, perhaps immunologic issue. But whatever, it's not possible to say anymore that dengue is a mild flu-like disease. There's always the potential of fatal cases. Now, that said, I don't think there's anything about the epidemiology that would suggest to, to scientists that we're going to see major fatal epidemics with high numbers of deaths in the United States. But this is a disease that can really alarm a community when it gets in. And I've seen it uh, all over the world uh, cause, if not panic, mass public and civil alarm. Uh, Because right. everybody gets sick at once, and they're very sick. And the town or the city or even the country, in the case of small countries, can almost literally shut down when a dengue epidemic occurs. Yeah, I imagine it gets your attention. Dave, give me some perspective on uh, the uh, attention and resources that are being focused on this disease. You've been around the CDC and the NIH and academia. Do you think it's getting the appropriate attention and, and resources at this point? I guess to answer that question, I'd have to say for the United States and for domestic science, uh, such as the science that we fund at NIH and that is funded and done by CDC, it's getting quite a bit of attention and has for a long time. Most of the deaths and most of the morbidity from dengue uh, occur in an international setting and occur in developing countries. And you can make an argument about to what extent we as Americans uh, should be involved in that. I I would say, and it's our position here at at NIH, that we're very involved in international diseases because we know that they can and in many cases will come here. So it's been one of those diseases. It's not as big a threat to us as cancer and heart disease and HIV and some of those things. But on the other hand, it's always a potential threat. It has been in the United States before. And the federal agencies, you mentioned NIH and CDC, have long been interested in dengue and have long been uh, doing things to research it, to better understand it. You know, as I mentioned 30-some years ago, CDC at that time had and still has 
an extensive operation, has a, a major laboratory in Puerto Rico with access to the Caribbean and to South America, and has been involved in activities in other countries as well. And a third federal player in this that shouldn't be forgotten is the United States military, particularly the Army, but also the Navy, has long been involved in dengue research. Uh, and, th- you know, this goes way back to the turn of the last century, 19, you know, the 1800s to the 1900s, when U.S. military physicians were some of the major scientists investigating and uh, trying to solve some of the problems of dengue. So, you know, this is below the radar screen of most Americans, I know, but United States scientists and the civilian scientists and military scientists have been involved in dengue in a major way for over 100 years. And I do think that's appropriate. Now private companies are getting involved and there are a number of vaccines in development, both federal vaccines, uh, for example, the U.S. military, and also private companies uh, are developing vaccines that could be used. It's not clear at this point what value those vaccines would be to American citizens other than those who live in the endemic areas, American citizens such as Puerto Ricans and people in the U.S. Virgin Islands and people in Hawaii maybe, but uh, and travelers abroad. But certainly such vaccines are greatly needed in the developing world where in many countries dengue is one of the major childhood causes of death. You know, it's interesting as you talk about vaccines and the military, I can't help but think about uh, yellow fever and how... Certainly, it's a member of the same viral family. Why is it uh, yellow fever has some immunization potentials and dengue does not? It's obviously been of interest for at least as long a time. What's different about it? That is a tough question. You know, the yellow fever vaccine was one of the first uh, effective viral vaccines made by Max Tyler in the United States many decades ago. You know, why that vaccine was successful, I don't know. You know, the general history of vaccinology for viral diseases is Decades ago, we made a lot of good ones, and it seems now we made them very easily, and now we have a lot of trouble. So I don't know what Max Tyler knew that that none of the rest of them know, but one of the things is we have a lot of safety concerns now that were not known to be concerns then, such as uh, making vaccines in mouse brains, which we essentially can't do anymore. And Tyler didn't have those restrictions, those theoretical safety restrictions on him. The second thing about it I think that's difficult is that yellow fever is one virus. It's largely clonal, which is to say that although there are, like with all viruses, there are variations of them, there are no major branches of the family. It's all one virus. So the vaccine works against every yellow fever virus uh, that is out there as far as we know. Dengue is four different viruses that are closely related but not the same. And so it would not be possible to make one vaccine against one dengue virus. You would have to make four vaccines against four dengue viruses and combine them. And this has proved to be a big challenge for for whatever reason. It's not clear, but we scientists talk about it as if these four viruses, when put into a vaccine, compete with each other or the immune responses to them compete with each other. So if you want to raise a high level of immunity to each of the four viruses, you tend to get maybe three of them, but not the other one. And then the person is not protected fully. The third thing, which is really a mysterious thing, is that there is much circumstantial evidence that severe dengue disease, which can be fatal, it's called dengue hemorrhagic fever or the severe form dengue shock syndrome, occurs on a second infection rather than a first or a third or a fourth. With four dengue viruses, you could theoretically have four infections. But dengue hemorrhagic fever and the fatalities that seem to occur pretty much, not exclusively, but pretty much on the second infection, not the first, third, or fourth. And one of the uh, prevailing theories about why that is, is a phenomenon called antibody-dependent enhancement, where a little bit of immunity to one of the viruses uh, actually potentiates the next one you see. So if that's true, and we don't know it's true, that's circumstantial, it's consistent with the evidence, but it's not proven. If that's true, then there's the theoretical concern that a vaccine 
could raise enough immunity to potentiate the disease when you meet the real virus, the live one in an endemic setting or an epidemic setting, but not enough to protect you. Well, you've uh, given us a lot to chew on today, Dave, and we appreciate that. I want to thank Dr. David Morins for being our guest. We've been talking about the potential U.S. threat of dengue fever. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thanks for listening.